0: everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Celtic View podcast. I'm Ryan Marr and today I'm with, we kind of matching Paul, aren't we? Uh, Celtic View editor Paul Cuddy, we should have had a chat beforehand. We'll but like I, think it, I think it looks better, yeah, that so way. being synchro. yeah. <laughs> um, there's lots to go through today Paul, um, we've got a review of the last weekend's games, a preview to this weekend's games coming up as well, and we're also going to give everyone a taste of the, the Glenn Leuven's podcast interview. Um, which is out now already on the Celtic uh, YouTube page and all your your podcast platforms as well. So if you've not had a chance to listen to it yet, then then get yourself onto it. But we'll give you a snippet of it today because it was a really entertaining chat actually um, with with Glenn.
1: Yeah, I mean, as I say, I think I think it's been great to hear some of these players that that maybe weren't the, the sort of shining stars as it were, but they you know made a really good contribution. Obviously, with, you know now and again before that with Jacks and maybe people that fans haven't heard from so much when they've left and Glenn Leuvens is one of those and um I thought he spoke really really well of, of his time at Celtic and no, it's it's well worth watching all I know to. I mean we'll getting
0: into it a little bit later on as well with him but it's always with, with a lot of players with so many players that come and play for Celtic and they always say they didn't know how big the club was until they actually got into it and then when they leave and Glenn Luvins says at the end that, he actually regrets leaving you. It's something you hear quite a lot, but all of these players always have Celtic so close to their hearts from the time that they, they have at the club. And it's it's been great to, to hear from them. And I suppose if anyone has any suggestions of anyone they would like to, to hear from as yeah. well, then then comment in, in the, the comments below or get in touch with us, because yeah, we're definitely looking out for, for some more people to chat to. Um, let's have a, a review of the weekend's games. Um, it feels like a wee while ago now. Um, yeah. 5-1 win for the first team against St Mirren a 3-0 win away for the B team against Bournemouth, and a 5-0 win for the women's team away to Borough Muir so let's just kind of get a little short reflection on all of those um, maybe a main takeaway from each of them starting with that St Mirren game the, the 5-1 victory in the cup Well I think first of all it was a, it was a really good cup tie and
1: what, what struck me at the game I mean St Mirren came and had a go and I don't think they would have played that way if it was a league game which I always, I always find surprising because you know the way teams play at Celtic Park it's almost like they're admitting that they're never going to win so they're trying to try to keep the score down whereas St Mirren ultimately it was a, was a heavy defeat but you know obviously the, the dynamic of the game changed when they we went down to 10 men we were we were definitely the better side but they, they definitely came and had, had a goal so it made for a much better game but you know ultimately you know there was I think for me so Matt Riley scoring his first goal of the season you know he's I think people could sometimes forget how much of a contribution he's made in terms of assists, but you could see the relief in his face when he scored. Oh, getting his first goal and a classic striker's goal, which I always love that just pounces on that ball after the keeper saves it. And then Rio Hitate just showing his class. I mean, it's oh, he's phenomenal. I mean, it's, it's what, I th- what I love about him is it just looks effortless. It's, there's times when he has the ball and you just think somebody's going to come in and nick it off him and then he just moves. He glides across
0: that park and, you know, a cool penalty and his, his other goal was just a wonderful finish. Yeah, that was going to be my main takeaway was Hitati's performance. And it was only a cameo appearance because he came off the bench, didn't he? But I feel like he's now taking on maybe more responsibility in the team. Obviously, he took up the penalty, which is a real sign of that as well. Um, but he just seems to really be enjoying his football and he's taken on that responsibility of being a guy to arrive late into the penalty box and, and try and set up goals and chances as well. But he's just so, he's so, so, so good. And I'm trying to think about maybe other Celtic players comparing the past of, of who he might play like. But he's quite he's quite unique in that he does everything in the game, doesn't he?
1: Yeah, and I think, obviously the longer he's, he's here and the, the more we play, I think he just, he, he grows into it. And, you know, I, I say this season, one of the kind of other things that stuck out for me was the time we played him at right back and it looks if like he'd played there yeah. his, his whole life. The other thing that I that almost caught me by surprise at the weekend was Cameron Carter-Vickers was announced as man of the match. So at first I was surprised, but then I realised why I was surprised because he plays like that every week. He is a 9 out of 10 or a 10 out of 10 every week. So it, it was almost like he, he didn't stand out because... It, I don't know if that makes sense, but because he, he stands out all the time, he's, his level of consistency is so high that actually, I mean, it was great that he did get the, the man of the match and, and he was typically outstanding, but it's almost like I almost had to give myself a check to say, I'm you're almost taking him for granted because, you know, some players, goal scorers, you know, they'll get the, the, the highlights and the headlines and, and the man of the match awards. Cameron Carter-Vickers is just, as I say, 9 or 10 out of 10 every single game.
0: Mm-hmm. What a player um, he is. He's, he's unbelievable. And it's the same anytime time I'm going to games, away games, and speaking to the manager afterwards. You kind of go through chronologically sometimes the goals that happen. And I need to stop and check myself sometimes and make sure you mention the defence. Not just the back four, but the whole defensive unit from the forwards backwards. Because they do such an immense job of keeping goals out at the other end and we're unfortunate, obviously conceding a penalty in that game. But with Carter Vickers, he does go unnoticed notice a lot of the time and it he almost looks like sometimes he's playing with so much ease, you know, that the game looks easy for him and it, he just plays with so much Confidence And so much belief In his ability Because he's so fast as well That he makes it look so easy Yeah
1: I mean he's, he's a different Type of player And a different style of player To Virgil van Dijk Yeah But it's the same idea That actually He's he's so good And You know He reads the game so well He's so in control And You know As part of me It's loath to talk about this Amazing statistic Of him and, and Cal Starfield I've never lost a domestic game When they partner together That's really nice Yeah But it, <laughs> but it works so well Because You know the. And again, the, the defence is looking so solid. Alistair Johnson's fitted in seamlessly. Greg Taylor's, as I say, is right up there as, as one of the players of the season for me. And, you know, you've got this great goalkeeper behind him. But again, you know, you've, the manager said to you before that the defending starts from, from the front, so it's the whole team. And yeah. although that the, the one negative from the weekend was the injury to Kyogo, and we hope that, you know, that's not going to be long-term. We'll find out, I think, towards the end of the week when the manager does his press conference. Then, he, you know, he just puts... Dyson Meade through the middle, and again he scores the goal. But when someone have the ball, he's pressing it and just doesn't give them a second.
0: I would, I would hate to be a, a defender that plays against Celtic. I mean, to think our oh, Kyogo's going off right, we might get a little bit of a breather here, <laughs> and Pops dies in my head, and you're thinking, I'm going to have potentially even less time in the ball. <laughs> like Imagine having to come up on that on a week-to-week basis. It'd just be frightening. I know. it's, And I say to be fair to St Mern, I, I, they they,
1: they, they, I think because it was a cup tie, you know, and they've got nothing to lose, and they did come and have a wee bit of a go, which I think team more teams should do, and I'm surprised that they don't, mm-hmm. because, say when they play that ultra-defensive formation, they're almost admitting that they can't win. Yeah. So the best they can hope for is that we have an off day and we don't score and beat them, but that's happened so rarely.
0: I know, because that game was in the balance for for so long, not in terms of the performance wise, but in terms of scoreline. It was 1 0 for so long, and then you never know in, in games like that. So I definitely agree. It, it makes more of a spectacle, and you would, you know, the amount of times that teams do just come up here and, and sit in and do make it hard for us, and no one's really managed to get any points from us doing, doing that yeah. this season. So. And it was it was a long day.
1: I mean, that half an hour stop for Varwell, they, they, they decided whether to give us a penalty. I mean, it was, I think that's the, I mean, I, I don't know why it wasn't given right away because it was obviously handball, but it was about five minutes before the VAR referee advised the referee to go over and another three or four minutes before he, he checked. And, you know, that I think that's always been the big complaint, certainly from from here, from yeah. the manager, is that it's the length of time. If they're going to make a decision, make it quickly and just get on with the game. But, um, I as well. I know. I was
0: actually because I wasn't working at the game at the weekend, and I sat up uh, with one of my friends who sits. I think it's like is it four 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 or something like that, and it's like up in the up in the corner, up to the right hand side, pretty much the top row. Which is, is different sitting. It's weird sitting in a different seat for a game, particularly somewhere so high up as well. Um, you just see the game completely differently. I was miles away, and I could see. I was a handful. I was standing there like heading my hands. How is that? How you're not seeing that, and the fact it took so long, it was just like, oh, such a nightmare. But it was actually quite a weird experience sitting yeah, somewhere else and seeing the game from a different angle. And uh, I don't, I don't envy the people that have to make that journey every game. because my legs were knackered. Keep me fit. I know, definitely. <laughs> um, looking at the other games, then the the bees, they were they won three 0 away to to bonus, um Mackenzie, Cars, Ben Quinn, and Bosnawell. He scored a really nice goal, uh, quick feet. Um, Main takeaways from that, uh, my main takeaway actually was Boston wild goal and even in the the second goal as well it was very similar where he was kind of advancing forward from the back and I wasn't at that game, I didn't see the full 90 minutes but in terms of him in particular, the games I have been at recently or watched I feel like there's a real confidence to him now Um, maybe from training with the first team more often obviously getting his debut in the game against Morton as well but in comparing his performances now to the start of the season, he looks so solid defensively, and he's also got this confidence of coming forward with the ball and and beating people and taking shots and goal, Um, and it was great to see him him get a goal, so that would be my main takeaway from that, but uh, what about yourself?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think on that point, I think that's, obviously we've spoken about it before, that's the whole point of, you know, Steve McManus moving over and working with Darren, Odie and the B team to kind of synchronise what happens between the B team and the first team in terms of training, in terms of the style of play. And obviously, as, as these guys train more with the first team, it gives them confidence, gives them an incentive. You know, as you say, Boston Law already made his debut. So the hope, and, and obviously that's happening as they get back to the B team with that renewed confidence, but also they're training at maybe a higher level. Mm. But then it gives them a taste of what they want, and they have. But they know they have to work hard in the B team in order to get in there. Um, the other, the other goal, the Mackenzie Kals goal was was a great finish. Um, really, really uh, quick feet again. Good volley and you know half volley into the back of the net. I, I' anytime I've seen the B team, I like. I like him. I like the way he is on the ball. You know, like sometimes. He, you know, when you, whenever you watch football and there's just certain players that, you know, whether it's a, a Celtic game or just a game that you're watching on TV, there's just certain players that when they when they take the ball and they move, they kind of catch your eye because they just, it's almost like they look like footballers. It's the same when you see people running. There's some people that look as if their, their legs aren't quite following the instructions from their head, but somehow they move forward. And then there's other people that are just, they're graceful and their movement is so, so natural. And I think he's one of those players that just looks natural on the ball and I like the way he takes the ball and moves and, and also you know he's maybe not the tallest but he's you know he's he's really tough in that midfield and yeah. I, I, I like I like any time I've seen the beating player play I always I think he always looks quite
0: impressive he's got a bit about him he, he likes to get himself in for a tackle as well that's always a euphemism for like, like you know you get stuck in he's <laughs> a bit no I know what you mean because I think <laughs> in midfield
1: you have to have everything because you can have all the skill and the vision and everything but you but it's such a, a competitive Uh, part of the pitch, that, uh, as you say, you need to be able to look after yourself as well and I I like that as well about them.
0: Yeah, we'll preview the B-teams game this weekend later on, Um, the women's team, they don't have a game coming up this weekend, um, The last weekend they won 5-0 away to Boroughmuir in the Scottish Cup uh, and that sets up a quarter-final tie against Hearts away, which is the same as the first team as well, which we'll we'll chat about in a little bit, but focusing on the, the women's team, they continue the defence of the Scottish Cup as well. Um, Hearts away in that quarter-final. It's a game that they had recently in the league. And it was a, I think it was a narrow 2-1 yeah. victory. So, it's not going to be an easy game for them.
1: No, I mean, I think it was a good, it was a good win. And as you say, defending the, the trophy, they obviously want to get back to the final. We were the first team to beat Hearts at the Orium through in Edinburgh this season in the league. And then I think they lost another game just the other week there. But... Yeah, it'll be a tough game, and obviously there is a, there's always a slightly different dynamic for cup ties. But you know the team again—they're not losing many goals at all this season, which is which is great. Um, so they will certainly be be confident and get into that
0: game. Yeah, Hearts are a team on the women's side that are putting on a lot of investment as well. I think they've got a game coming up, Edinburgh derby, which they're hoping. I can't remember who's at home. If it's Hibs or Hearts, is that Tynecastle? Which they're hoping is going to be the record and get over. Ten thousand, um, so I think that could be a fixture in the, the kind of the years to come, where both teams will be kind of pushing maybe the semi-finals and finals facing each other because they're putting in a lot of investment, which is brilliant to see in the women's game as well to get more competition. Um, and it's obviously ourselves having won both cups last season. Also at Glasgow City and Rangers and Hibs have won cups as well. And I suppose for the women's game, the, the more teams that you have challenging, then the better the product is.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think
0: certainly even in the last two or three years as the Celtic and Rangers
1: have, have become proper challengers to Glasgow City because obviously they dominated I think they won 13 league titles in a row mm-hmm. so you know there's now every season there's a genuine three horse race for the title but you've always had particularly in the Cubs, Cubs you've had teams like Hibs that you know have done well Spartans are always quite a difficult mm-hmm. team to play but as you say if teams like Hearts and you know, obviously, teams like Aberdeen and Motherwell are starting to, to build and grow, and they know it's a long-term process, but you know, the more competitive I think it is, it's better for... Because if people start watching the women's game, you know, I think they'll be pleasantly surprised, but then the more competitive it is, obviously, that raises the standard, and I, I think that can only
0: be good for the game. 100%. Um, our first team's quarter-final tie in the Scottish Cup, also away to hearts. Um, don't know if the date's out for that yet, but it's around the weekend 11th of March, isn't it? Um, it's probably one of the draws that one-off cup games, you're probably wanting to avoid, really. But if you can go there and, and get a victory and get into the semi-final, the confidence you get. And of late, we've done pretty well at Tynecastle as well. So it's a really exciting one, though, isn't it? The Scottish Cup weekend, that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it will depend. I know there's a, there's a rugby game on at Murrayfield that weekend. So... That will dictate slightly whether I can't remember what day it is, um, because it's obviously it's not it's not a sport I focus on. But um, I think in terms of the the cup tie hearts, obviously, over the years the league allocation of tickets has been cut back. But I think there's in the Scottish Cup, I think you have to have a certain percentage, Mm -hmm. so that'll make for a a much bigger Celtic support. Um, I think you know that the atmosphere. You know, I, I would say that we're you know, we not exactly welcome with open arms there, but I think it adds that wee edge. I know, again, from past and present players, they like playing at Tain Castle because it's kind of traditional. The pitches, you know, the fans are right almost on top of the pitch, so it'll make for a great atmosphere. And as you say, we've done quite well there in recent years. And, mm-hmm. you know, the way we are playing just now, whether we're home or away,
0: regardless of the opposition, you, you go into the games really confident. I know. That's one thing I love about the Scottish Cup, is when you get that away allocation bigger as well because i mean even the game here against morton fair play at morton i think they've brought about three or four thousand and even though we're three four five nil down they were singing throughout the whole game and there's something just i don't i don't want to say the magic of the cup um you just have i know <laughs> but there's something i'm going to um, i'm going to kind of say it again there's something kind of magical about the cup where it's almost like everything else just goes out the window. All league form, anything's possible in that one moment. You get a good sort of 3,000 fans at the games. It just feels different, the cup. It's just, a, I, I love it. I love the Scottish Cup so much. And the fact that you are then got a game against Hearts to look forward to, uh, makes it even that bit more kind of kind of special as well. And as you said, you know, we the 4-3 there uh, recently uh, this season. I can remember, we, did we beat him 7-0 in the cup? Was mm-hmm. that in the Scottish Cup? And yeah, Scott Brown scored. Yeah, um, Lustig scored from outside yeah. the box as well. So some good memories and hopefully some more. Yeah, We'll take 7-0. We will, we will indeed. Um, we're going to preview the weekend's fixtures, but first of all, we're going to give you some of that interview with Glenn Lovins The full interview is out now on the YouTube channel, anywhere you get your podcast as well, so please do check it out. Um, but we're going to give you a little snippet over here, a little taster of, of what Glenn Leuvens was chatting to us about, about his time at Celtic, so let's hear from Glen now. That game against Kilmarnock, 6-0, where we do in the league. As you mentioned, you were one of the players that scored in that first half. I remember being at that game and it was just incredible. Celtic had three stands, the atmosphere was amazing. The football we played was amazing as well. What do you remember of that occasion?
2: yeah well this is this is one of the few games I do remember uh, playing in um like you said it felt like felt like a home game um, um, I think it was five 0 in the end um so it was yeah like you said we're playing some good football uh, scoring some goals so it's the kind of game that you know, um, it's like I said, it felt like a, a relief from all those years that uh, uh, the year before we, we, we didn't make it. Also, my first season, we didn't quite make it um, on, on a couple of points. But now, you know, with some good football, um, we, we brought it back to, to Celtic. And for me, that was, like I said, a big relief. And uh, yeah, one of, uh, one of uh, my pr- proudest moments in football.
0: The atmosphere on that day was amazing at Rugby Park, but you can use that as an example, but just in general, the Celtic fans, how do you remember them and the atmosphere that they would create for the team?
2: Yeah, I have to say, uh, I was quite lucky with all my teams that I played for with uh, with the fans, but um, yeah, Celtic were right up there, um, home and away. Um, it was always a, a sellout and yeah, especially the the Champions League nights, you know, under the lights, it was something amazing. I still get goosebumps, you know, talking about it. Uh, these are the things as, as a player you, you, you always remember um, and, you know, they, they were there for us in good and bad times. So, no, they're amazing. Um, really, really good.
0: That's, yeah, I'm sure Celtic fans will always love to hear that. Um, just to, Glenn, about you You then leaving the club and after that we're going to go do some quickfire questions which we always do with our, our guests when we get them on. But in terms of, of leaving, you then going that summer to Spain, was it just a case of wanting a new challenge at that stage in your career?
2: Yeah, listen, I, I, I like Celtic a lot as a club but um, you know the league at, at times. You know you play seven seven times Kilmarnock in one season, and after four years, that it, it can be a lot. It can be quite intensive. You know I knew the the Kilmarnock players better than my own my own wife. So um, yeah, I I felt like after four years, it was it was time for for a new challenge. And um, although Celtic offered me a, a new deal, but. Yeah, for me, I, I I felt like I needed a new uh, yeah new chapter in, in in my career, and that's why I decided to leave. Um, but Neil Lennon at the time he said, "Listen, when you look back, you always regret leaving." And at one point, he was kind of right uh, because hey, I went to Spain and stuff, and and although I had some good experience as well, but I always kind of missed uh, playing for Celtic.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a club that always just leaves a place in people's hearts, even when they leave. Um, Glenn, let's finish off on some quick fire questions, as we always do when we have a, a guest on. So some questions on your teammates at the time or memories, different things like that. So to kick off with, who was the, the biggest practical joker and the biggest prankster in the squad during your time at Celtic?
2: Yeah, you... If I have to say one, it's it's Scott Brown.
0: <laughs> In terms of yourself, did you have a favorite goal you scored at Celtic?
2: Um, let me see. Yeah, well, let let's go for the the one that when we won the league, um, just because because of yeah the game what it represented for me.
0: Yeah, that's a good shot. In terms of other players on the team, who was the one that caught your eye the most? The, the one that was you would say is maybe the best, sort of technically.
2: Uh, for me, that's easy. It's Nakamura. He, when we did boxes, he never, I never see him gave the ball away once. It's incredible. Uh, and if he if he gave if if he gave the ball away, it was normally because it was a foul made on him. It yeah, was their kid.
0: I've heard people talking about Nakamura before saying they would watch him in training and he'd take 23 kicks and every single one would just go in the top corner and they're standing there like, I yeah, can believe really I'm watching.
2: It was incredible. It was funny as well because he never spoke a word English and then we, with the national team, we we played Japan and he came to me and he said, hi Glenn, are you okay? I was like, oh, this guy can't speak English, man. But in the two, three years he was there, he never spoke a word.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. Um I don't know if you had a fine system at the club when you were at Celtic, but if you did, is there a player that would get fined the most, or is there a player that got a fine which which made you laugh a lot?
2: I can't I can't remember. Of course we had a fine system for sure. Um but I can't remember. I should because I think the last year. I was in charge of it as well. Oh my god. Was there any, ever
0: anybody always late to training or things like that?
2: I, I, I honestly can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember.
0: What about yourself, Did you? Did you ever get fined for anything?
2: Yeah, but stupid things, you know, leaving stuff out outside or in the in the dressing room, things like this. Um you never caught me coming late or anything like this, but um, yeah, normally like like silly things.
0: Who would you say was the strongest player or the... It could be the strongest or the angriest player you played with at Celtic?
2: Bobo Balde, you know? Uh, I, I remember this story that I came in, in the dressing room and they put my my kit... It was the first day. Uh, they put my kit in, in his locker. So obviously, first day, I come in quite early. Um, you know, getting changed, and then big Bobo Baldi came in, and he said, "That's my locker," and he took my clothes uh, and he hanged them somewhere else. And I was like, "Okay, Bobo, if you say so." Uh, so I went to the the kit man I said, uh, "Sorry, but you put me in uh, Bobo Baldi's place. Uh, can you sort it out? Because I don't want him. <laughs> I don't want to make him angry." Uh, so if I have to go for one, for sure, Bobo Baldi.
0: I mean, Glenn, you're a big guy yourself, a big rugged centre half. Was Bobo just a different level?
2: Not as big as Bobo Baldy. Trust me, he looked he looked like a like a unit.
0: You uh... you've come out with some brilliant stories, Glenn. Um, I don't know if there's is there anything else that comes to mind because there's been some there's been some great ones already.
2: I'll tell you one. Uh, it was with uh, with a manager, Neil Lennon, at the time. I remember playing the first nine, ten games, and we wore we won all all nine or ten. Uh, then we played Rangers, and um, yeah, we we lost. Huh? Uh, it wasn't a good game. The the, the game after after that, um, we were tunnel up at home. But me and uh, Mastorovic, we had like uh, one or two moments that you know we weren't sure of each other, uh, which caused a little bit of panic. So. You know, he came in the dressing room and he's like, he said, what shall I do with you two? And, you know, now if I look back, I shouldn't reply. But uh, I said, well, you're the manager, you know, you decide what to do. Uh, And then, yeah, he kind of was, he left anyway. Anyway, He left me out the squad for a couple of weeks uh, just to make to make a point uh, which okay I was upset about but uh, things happened and uh, he said okay Glenn today you have to do the, the the boxes upstairs you know you have to show to all the carpet boxes show your face I said I don't feel like it I'm not going he said okay I that's a fine I said okay you can find me not a problem so he said okay I find you so You know, I think it was a thousand pound or something like that. Uh, So it was, you know, quite a lot of money for just not going to the boxes. So I was, I was already, (laughs) so that made me even more. And then he was like, who are we going on a night out with Glenn's money? So that. (laughs) So I thought, how can I get him back? I said, okay. So I bought this, I think it was Christmas time. So I bought this Christmas big, big bag with lights on it and stuff and I gave him £1,000 in coins, (laughs) and I put this on his desk and I said here, take this out, and then I out," And that kind of broke the ice between us again. Uh, After that, it was quite good again.
0: That is a brave move, because that goes either one or two ways. Either he likes it, like he did, or he gets even more annoyed.
2: (laughs) Yeah. No I, I he took it uh, the right way and uh, it wasn't intended a little bit like that to break the ice because you know I I wanted to play back again and uh, it was a good solution in the end and uh, like you said it's a good story in the end to to tell
0: <laughs> Yeah I'm I'm glad you're here to tell it <laughs> Yeah I'm glad you're I'm glad you're here to tell the tale Just finally Glenn um when you look back on your whole time at Celtic, just try and sum up if you can, what memories come to mind, and just what your time at Celtic really means to you.
2: Uh, listen, if 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 I look back at uh, my time at Celtic overall, it's it's joy. It's uh, I met some lovely people. I played for a great club, uh, with for some great fans. Uh, won trophies. Um, you know, my my one of my daughters got born there, so it's like a, it will always be a special place for me. Um, when I uh, once in a while come back and uh, you know, with joy and 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 uh, fun memories of so, um, yeah, nothing but uh, good, good, good praises uh, for Celtic for me.
0: Well, do come back and, and see us all out at Celtic Park, and I'm sure. The Celtic fans will love hearing all those stories and, and those memories from you, Glenn. Thank you so much for joining us in the Celtic View podcast and taking out time in your day and, and sharing those stories again. It's, it's brilliant to hear it, Glenn, but thank you so much.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, there we go. Former defender Glenn Lewins uh, talking about his his time at Celtic and he, uh, he had some brilliant stories in there, Paul. Do
1: you know one of the things I forgot, actually, and... In- I actually, I felt a bit sorry for him because he was talking about there's there's a bit in the podcast where he talks about the 2009-10 season where Tony Mowbray started mm-hmm. as manager and then Neil Lennon came in as his interim manager, and he had a few hamstring injuries and because of the the way the season was going, he kind of felt he was he kind of rushed back, and ultimately when he rushed back the last time, it, it, rolled, it ended his season prematurely, which also ended his chance of going to the World Cup, which he probably would have made the, the the Netherlands squad for the World Cup. And obviously that year, they get to the final as well. And, you know, it, it, I'm I'm sure, I mean, in terms of his care, it's fine. But there, there must have been a wee niggling annoyance to that because, you know, so few players get to the World Cup. But then for the Netherlands, they've done so well to get to the final. But he
0: missed out because obviously through injury. It must be so heartbreaking. Because i should have said that, the manager at the time said, well, I would have taken you, but... You, you weren't playing because you weren't fit yeah. it must just be such a horrible horrible feeling to know that you had that opportunity potentially to get there and then you're probably sitting at home obviously wanting your country to do well but then seeing him keep progressing you're thinking oh it could have been me there but I know, I know. It's, not, it's not worked out but it was brilliant to chat to him um, first time ever speaking to him um, and he was he was great he was great with stories um, you know really 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 top person speaking to him as well and it's it's we were talking about it earlier. There, sometimes these players who they've obviously come to Celtic, they've done they've done well, they've won medals, but we've maybe not heard from them in, in a long time. And it's just great to get their perspective and things again, and to hear about how much the club means to them, and, and just to kind of get some of those get some of those memories back. So, um, so yeah, definitely check it out if you if you're interested, and do let us know if there's other players who we've not spoken to, or, you, or you'd like to hear stories about, just, just give us a comment and, and hopefully we can try and set them up. Um, let's look ahead to the weekend then, as I said there's no game for the women's team, the B team have Gretna at home on Saturday and the first team have Aberdeen uh, at home on Saturday as well. Uh, so let's start with the, the Aberdeen game, it's, it's a game that has a lot of history to it, Celtic against Aberdeen, I think it's always an exciting one as well because Aberdeen are one of the, the bigger clubs in Scotland. So what did you just start off, actually, just about any memories you have of the fixture at all, kind of going back, if there's anything that springs to mind when you hear this fixture getting called out? I mean, I remember back in the 80s, the, the, the,
1: the big game, obviously Celtic Rangers games because of the derby, but the actually big game in terms of the two best teams and going for the league were Celtic and Aberdeen. And I always remember like going to the games, going with my dad, going into the jungle, and that was the, you know, you knew that was the hardest game because that Aberdeen team under Alec Ferguson, you know, they had, they had lost that fear that Aberdeen teams maybe traditionally had of coming to Glasgow. So they would come to Celtic Park, to Ibrox, to Hamden, and they, they felt like they could win. So there was some, you know, we had a really top team at that time as well. So there were some great games. I always remember Aberdeen uh, defender Doug Rugby, who was just like this, you know, one of these took-no-prisoners sort of guys. But he used to come and warm up. Uh, before the game, a uh, line up just in, right in front of the jungle, and he'd just be stretching over with his with his back to the, to the jungle and stretching. Over. Was like kind of provoking, and everybody's like <laughs> getting up. And I thought, like, you know, even at the time, you think the psychology of that he's almost trying to wind up the home crowd and almost like letting them know I'm not I'm not intimidated. Um, so they were always they were always exciting games. They were always absolutely packed, and you know they could go either way because. Say they'd a really good team, but but so did we with some really top players at the um, time. Was there a bit of
0: kind like, an of animosity then back then, or no? I I don't
1: I don't think so. I mean, obviously there's that the, the famous uh, incident that that Gordon Gordon Strachan would obviously talk about more than anybody else of you know the fan coming on the park. But I mean, I think they were fiercely competitive games, but I I don't remi- I don't remember the, there being that kind of the it's kind of animosity it, yeah. between the, the kind of supporters. Um, that maybe the Aberdeen would have with with, with Rangers yeah. fans that, that we don't have, but it was it was certainly the, the biggest game in, in Scotland at the time.
0: Mm-hmm. Was it quite a lot of sort of ding dongs then between the, the two teams? Because I mean Aberdeen, what's well, forty years since eighty three when they won the Cup Winners' Cup, isn't it now? And then was it eighty six when they last last won the titles. So that was a real kind of period of success for them during during the eighties. And uh, they, they seem to have a, obviously you hear stories about the, the, the team that they had, but was it always one of those occasions when you're playing Aberdeen that one game they'd beat us, the next game we'd beat them? It was always kind of going back and forth. I mean, it was two
1: really good football teams. I mean, even those those years, so, so we won a couple of league titles right at the start of the 80s. And even the other league titles that Aberdeen, certainly there was one or two, we kind of let it slip even the year the United won. We we let some of them slip that we we could have and should have probably won some of those league titles. I always thought they were really good football games as well Mm -hmm. because, you know, Celtic traditionally would have, you know, when you get into the the mid 80s, you'd obviously Paul McStay in the heart of the midfield. You know, you had, you know, Charlie Nicholas broke through and was was sensational, but, you know, know, Davey Proven the wing. We were always a football team, but I think Aberdeen were as well. But it, you know, it was no quarter
0: given. Mm -hmm. My memories of, The fixture obviously starts really following Celtic early 2000s, and at that point, Aberdeen had sort of fallen to, well, not fallen, but at that level where they're probably still at now, fighting for third and fourth, and maybe getting to cup finals and and things like that. Um, Remember the 9 0 game here at Celtic Park, 2010, 2011, something like that? Um, Stokes and Hooper both scored hat tricks, and then I suppose that period when Brendan Rodgers came in as manager and we just seemed to always get Aberdeen in the Cup Finals. The, the first season with Rodgers, we get him in the League Cup Final, beat him 3-0 and then that game in the Scottish Cup Final where Rodgers scores in the 90s, third 94th minute and I mean, I don't think I've ever been as nervous at a game of football before in my life, right. really. like Just because you knew what was on the line, I think you think back to games where famous victories against like Barcelona's and things where you're clearly nervous, but you didn't have any real expectation. But with that game, Aberdeen had some big chances in that game as well. Uh, I remember one where Kenny McLean, or was it Johnny or Kenny McLean cut it back, can't remember who what it was, it was kind of a two-on-one. And you just thought, oh, this game's like, I, I cannot go to extra time. Your heart was racing and then to get the goal in the, the last minute um, just sparked It was less of like a celebration, just more like a sense of relief pouring out that we're actually going to achieve this amazing feat of going and having an invincible treble. Um, And then we obviously got three more trebles there after that and played Aberdeen in in War Cup finals. But it was that period for Aberdeen under Derek McInnes where they were kind of sort of challenging us for the league title for a a couple of years as well. And it kind of brought that game back to the the top of Scottish football.
1: I mean, the most nervous I've ever been at a game was the the day we stopped to ten here. Yeah, um, felt sick because obviously everything was on the line that day. Um, but I, I think a strong Aberdeen uh, is good for Scottish football for a number of reasons. One is you know that there are it's a one club city so and they have such a big catchment area so if they do well, you know. They're filling their own stadium, they're bringing thousands of fans to away games. They've actually sold out their whole allocation for the game on Saturday, so it should make for a better atmosphere. I also think they're one of those teams, I know it's just a kind of fans thing, but you know when they're playing uh, the other half of the city, they're giving it everything. Now, you know, it's like you just have a feeling sometimes when, you know, uh, when hearts are... Are playing Rangers, you think, at Tyne Castle, you, kinda, you know what way the game's <laughs> going to go, but at or, or you know, particularly, in Aberdeen, I think, are just, I think it just makes for a better league. Yeah. So I, I, I hope that they, you know, we've got such a good record against them at home, we've got such a good record at home, you know, I'm really confident we'll get the three points at the weekend, but I think longer term, it's a big decision they've got to make in terms of a manager, but I, I do think it's better. For Scottish football, if we get a strong Aberdeen, because um, mm-hmm. they they are, they, are a, they should be a big team and they've got real potential, but they kind of the post edit McInnesy and they've kind of lost their way a wee bit. So I hope they kind of get back on track. They're in a bit of a
0: kind of weird position at the moment, aren't they? Where they started off the season relatively okay, um, scoring goals, and new signings seem to be doing well. Jim Goodwin, obviously kind of fell away quite drastically after the World Cup break. Um, they got their first win against Motherwell um, under Barry Robson as, as interim manager. They've obviously got a lot of decisions to make about who comes in as a manager, what they want to be doing because the last couple so far, Steve Glass and Jim Goodwin, haven't really worked for them. Um, so it, you don't really know what you're going to get at the game of Saturday from Aberdeen because they've not been in great form but they got their first victory so is that going to Change their fortunes a bit. I don't
1: know. I mean, it's such a it's such a football cliche that teams, when they sack their manager, they suddenly bounce back. I mean, Motherwell beats at Mirren in midweek. Now, I don't know if that's a, ba- a, a poor reflection on players that mm. you know that they perform so badly. And obviously, Aberdeen beat Motherwell, um, and then Motherwell get knocked out of the cup, and that's why Stevie Hamill got sacked. But suddenly, they bounce back and they beat at Mirren who have done well. I think maybe it's helped Barry Robson having a couple of weeks just to work with the players on the training ground specifically to prepare for this weekend the dilemma ha- uh, aberdeen have as other teams have is well we saw the the ultimate in negativity uh, when we played up there well yeah you know i think that was only the, the only other time i can think of that in football was when craig levine played a 4-6 a in the czech republic um when the scotland game and which was just criminal but that doesn't you know you run the risk of going ultra defensive, and then we're going to get a chance to score. So I don't really know, and, and the record at Celtic Park is so poor, and ours is so strong but, that you know I'm not quite sure how they're going to go about it. And they're a kind of strange team. Just I still think they're trying to to build a, a team, so yeah. that. Um, that be interesting. Yeah, I think I, I. I mean, I think we'll we'll win, win yeah. quite comfortably in the end. I think. Yeah, you
0: would. You would like to. You'd like to imagine so. Nothing else would point to to another result. Um, as you said about maybe wanting to see Aberdeen do well in the long term. Hopefully for, for Bayer Robson, I don't know if he's going to put his name in for the for the hat for that job, but um, he's another guy that obviously had a good career here at Celtic, and um, you would probably like to see him do quite well after Saturday as well. And his again talking about memories of Aberdeen games his Sports first cuts, touch yeah. you know in that game
1: beating him 5-1 that was also the game where that audacious bit of McGee skill for, yeah, for, yeah. to set up the wee chip to the back post for Scott McDonald's said I mean that that was I think Celtic TV must have been showing the highlights of that recently and I watched it anyway and it just it still takes my breath away that way he took two players out just with that bit of skill but then for as you say for Barry Robson to come on with his first touch as a Celtic player and, and score a free kick and he mm. him and Paul Hartley uh, Gordon Strachan buying them that season were, were absolutely key to us ultimately winning the league title. And I think Celtic fans, obviously, out with Saturday's game, I think they've, they've always had quite a strong affection for Barry Robson because I think he's an Aberdeen fan. You know, and he's, he's obviously played for them, and he's, you know, you hope he does well for them now. But he gave absolutely everything for Celtic when he played. I mean, he really did. Um, you know, people remember the goals. They remember the the challenges in, in, in derby games in the first minute they kind of let everybody know he was there and uh, goal against Barcelona uh, he was a really good
0: player for us at a really key time he, he really, really was yeah. anyone who you interview who played with him even the Celtics team at that time always said he was so horrible though he was just like all elbows even in training like he just he gave everything in, in training as he did in the game and uh, yeah, I think, I think Celtic fans really I suppose any fans of, of club, if you see someone giving 100% and they're really passionate about the club and playing for the badge, then you always have strong memories of them. And I think Barry Robson's definitely in that case. But yeah, I'm sure, hopefully a victory on Saturday. And I think the way that things are going, hopefully that will be the case. Uh, the B team are at home to Gretna on Saturday. There's only six games left for them in the whole League season. It finishes a little bit earlier than... Uh, the league season for the first team, so it ends about April time. There's not long, not many games left at all, and they're still in a really good position. I know that they they talk about the performances being more important than the results, but I'm sure with six games left to play, they'll probably all be looking to try and finish obviously as high on the table, and if they can finish top, then amazing. Yeah, and I think the other incentive, obviously they just want to go into every game
1: and win and just carry on. They've been some decent form recently. But the other incentive with the season finishing early is, you know, it won't necessarily mean that that's them finished for the summer. There'll be some, certainly some of the players we mentioned earlier on, but some of them training with the first team. So if, if they're finishing in this first team have still got another six or seven weeks, at the very least, they'll be looking to try and push themselves so that they're training with the first team anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a real incentive. But in order to do that, obviously what they're doing every day, but then carry that into the games. And... and you know, I'm I'm confident that we'll, we'll get the three points in that game. Yeah,
0: Gretna are third bottom at the table in the Lone League at the moment. There's quite a gap, though, between the bottom two teams. I don't even think they've reached double figures in terms of points. And then Gretna, I think, are about 25 points. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's a game where you would like to think that Celtic will, will get the victory in that. Um, which kind of leads us in, then into our predictions. which we've, Are you bringing them back? Yeah. we brought back, yes. <laughs> uh, because... I need to try and get some bragging rights uh, because you are currently 10 points ahead of me and we've not actually played the predictions game since before Christmas. Uh, so I've had that weight around my neck for the last sort of seven weeks or so. So I need to try and start chipping away again. So. Uh, we've got seven games. Uh, I go up against yourself, vice versa. Some We've got a supporter involved. This week it is Liam Smith uh, who's taking part. Um, so, since we're just talking about that Celtic B game, why don't we start there uh, against Gretna? What is your prediction for that?
1: I will go for 4 1 to Celtic.
0: Okay, I'm going for 4 uh, 0, and Liam is going for 1 0 with that one. Uh, a narrow victory. Um, but looking at the first team's game then against. Aberdeen on Saturday? I will go for 4-0 for that game. 4-0, I like it. Uh, well, Liam's went for 2-0 and I've went for 3-0, so hopefully along that path somebody's right <laughs> at the end. Um, there's no women's team game, so we've got two more games from our Scottish Premiership and then three games from the English Premier League as well, which is getting quite exciting in the moment, actually, after that game against... Man city and Arsenal yesterday. Um but starting off, Dundee United against St Johnson. It's quite a tricky one.
1: I think it's a there's a lot a lot of pressure in, in the United just now. I think there's been a, a bit of rumbling of discontent amongst the fans that the, the team haven't been playing that well, but I think they were disappointed that they didn't I don't think they really the fans didn't feel they strengthened mm-hmm. in the January transfer window. Obviously it's a kinda of Tayside Derby game. I, I like St Johnson, I like uh, Callum Davidson. Um and I think he's a decent manager, and a, they're always, a hard, quite, a, always feel a, quite a hard team to play. So
0: I'm going to go 2 1 for St Johnson. I am exactly the same 2 1 St Johnson as well. Um going for 1 0 Dundee United. But yeah, I, again, talking about new manager bounces, Liam Fox gets announced as manager. Dundee United started to win a couple of games, and then again, it started to fall back. Where you win a couple of games, you go, off oh, that. They'll be fine then, Dundee United, they're not going to get relegated, too many good players. And then since then it's started to fall back down again and you're kind of looking at it and thinking...
1: Because nobody's been cut adrift at the bottom yep. this season. So actually, once the split comes in, the the bottom six, that'll be really interesting because obviously there's everything to play for for that relegation spot and the playoff spot. Yeah. So it'll be really tight, but uh, they, they need to start winning, but I'm, I'm not sure it'll be this weekend. Yeah, good answer for the that, and it
0: comes in. Uh, the other game, which is on Sunday, um, lunchtime, I believe, is Motherwell against Hearts. Well, Motherwell, we've mentioned, is a really had a good result
1: against St Mern midweek. I mean, on form, people would have thought St Mern would have done well. I think Stephen Robinson said they had an off night. But in probably having Stuart Kettlewell, um, is it Kettlewell or Kettlewell? Kettlewell. Kettlewell. Sorry, Stuart, if you're watching, <laughs> which you probably won't be. Um, it's probably been quite good having him having that experience of, of managing and managing in the Premiership to coming in to at least steady the ship. It certainly had an impact. But I think Hearts you know, are easily the, the third best team in Scotland this season. And I think, they'll, I think they'll be too strong for Motherwell. So I'm going to go for 3-2, actually. Two that's what harps. I went to but I'll, I'll change it and No, no they... Well I'll change it
0: then because you, okay. you, you always change it and it, okay. you end up Yeah Yeah, uh, you get it right and
1: So I'll go for 4-2 halves. 4-2, okay
0: <laughs> Yeah um, I went for 3-2 because I don't, Sky have, have taken a, quite a few kind of Motherwell games and a Sunday of usually kind of against Hibs and they always end up dead high scoring games so I think it's going to be another one but uh, it was interesting to in the Motherwell game against St Mirren in uh, Wednesday night where Supposedly, St Mirren players had played more games for Motherwell than the Motherwell team had. In right. So maybe St Mirren lost that game because they still thought they were playing for Motherwell. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see on Saturday. But uh, no, I, I'm, I'm with you on everything you say there in that game. And Leeds went for 1-0 hearts. Uh, we've done Celtic beat Gretna. So three games in the English Premier League and the first game on the weekend is Aston Villa against Arsenal. Crazy. Yeah, I mean, I think...
1: the. Obviously, Arsenal lost against Manchester City. I mean, it's it, obviously the, the narrative they want to create is if Arsenal have you know bottled it, they lost the game against Everton. I think most teams when they lost that first game, Sean Dyche comes in for Everton. They they drew against Brentford, in a scandalous VAR decision. Uh, you know, you can always criticise VAR decisions where referees make interpretations of challenges for penalties. The fact the guy forgot to draw the lines for the offside is inexcusable. And it's cost Arsenal two points that may prove... I mean, if they were to lose that league by two points, I I think it's a scandal. I think it certainly, to me, kind of devalues the title then because they were... I mean, through sheer incompetence or whatever. But I thought the other night against Manchester City, I mean, they're a really good team, Arsenal, but... Manchester City you need to when you get chances you need to take them against Manchester City because they've got players like De Bruyne and Haaland and Gundogan are just top quality players and you give them half a chance and they score but I think Arsenal will be there or thereabouts and I I feel that they will bounce back at the weekend so I I think they'll beat Aston Villa 2-1
0: Yeah so I'm actually going for an Aston Villa win Uh, as much as I, I don't think I think you're right that the fact they've not won in three games makes it seem like, oh, they're bottling it. And I, I don't think that is the case at all. Um, it will be interesting to see in this game if they if they can bounce back and, and get a victory in it because anyone can lose to Manchester City. I mean, they're, they're so good. And Arsenal shot themselves to the foot, in the foot a couple of times with errors at the back. And at that level, you just get pounced upon. And saying that... I, I've just got a feeling that Villa, less so, less so that uh, Arsenal will lose that game, more that Aston Villa will win it. And Unai Emery's going up against Arsenal again. Um, I think the last time he went up against Arsenal, as a, a manager was with Villarreal in the Europa League, and he was like, I really will have a point to prove, and he beat them. So I think I think Aston Villa won that game more through themselves. Other than Arsenal, I'm going for 2-1 for that. Uh, and Leeds went for 1-0 to Arsenal. What did you go for? Two hours, okay. Um, two more games. One of them is Everton against Leeds, which is a real basement battle. Yeah, I mean, obviously Everton first game for Sean Dyche, uh,
1: they they beat Arsenal one 0 and I like I like Sean Dyche, I like the way he conducts himself, and I was surprised it took him so long to get back into football. But then I watched the Merseyside derby, and it was a wee part of me that I could see why because. Obviously, teams are looking for managers that can develop their team and play a certain way. And from the, the kick-off, it was obvious that Everton were just going to play the ball back and just lump it long. And if Dominic Calvert-Lewis had been playing, maybe that would have worked. But Ellis Sims was just a young guy. We've seen him before at Hearts. Mm. And he wasn't able to hold the ball up. And he kind of just played into Liverpool's hands. And it was a good game for Liverpool in the end that they could play their football. They won the game. Um, so I'm not quite sure. I think that game... Uh, I'm not sure if it's going to be a great advert for football. <laughs> I think it's going to be, because so, there's so much at stake. Leeds, you know, they've got a real high intensity about them, but they keep losing goals, so... Yeah. I have a funny feeling, because, you know, there'll not be a lot of football there, I think Everton are going
0: to win that one 2-1. 2-1. I'm going for a 2-0 When Everton, agree with everything you've said in that as well. Uh, I think for I think for Everton, for Deitch, they're gonna just stick to that style. They're not gonna change from it. It's obviously done it before and it's worked. But I think the home games are the ones that are gonna be so crucial for them. The fact that they can if they can get Goodison Park rocking for those final however many games they've got left at home, eight or nine, whatever, um, and just keep scraping victories, one nils, two nils, then I think that will probably see them through. Um and so I'm gonna go for two nil with that one. Um I think Everton quite strong kind of in set piece and might be the Avenue Uh, and Liam has went for one each and then the final game of the weekend is Newcastle against Liverpool so that's a Newcastle in those top four positions hoping to stay there Liverpool after winning Monday probably thinking can we get there? but to get there they'll probably need to win yeah
1: I don't think they will I think it's got a draw written all over it I mean I think Newcastle have become sort of the draw specialists they're very hard to beat they'll get really strong defence and you can see what he's trying to do you know, and I what what's impressed me actually is the fact that obviously they suddenly have this, uh, you know, lot of money behind them, but they haven't just done a Chelsea and just get out and bought anybody. They're actually trying to build a team and and, and you know build specific players. I always watch Newcastle and think, Kieran Tierney would be perfect in that team. You no, know, he's, he's not getting a game for Arsenal just now. And the left back at Newcastle is okay, but the way they make Newcastle play, every time I watch them, I think I can just visualise Tierney causing absolute havoc down that left flank. But um, I think Liverpool, as I say, it was a good game for them in the Merseyside derby. They scored the goal in the back of Everton almost scoring, hit the post, they went up the park, and obviously Jordan Pickford, I think, had popped off for a, a cup of coffee. Uh, still don't understand why he's England's number one. Joe Hart's a better goalkeeper than him, never mind the other guys that are in the squad. But um, I think it was a good game for them for a bit of confidence. But I still think they're a team that needs to rebuild longer term. So it'll be a a tough game. Newcastle have got a lot of good players. But as I
0: said, I think I'm going to go for two each. Two each. Yeah, I'm going to go for one each. And I think it's the same. It's got a draw written all over it because Newcastle don't concede goals. They don't score tons of goals either. They either keep winning games 1-0 or it's a a 0-0 and then they might score in the last minute. But he's building such good foundations there. And when they can add that kind of sprinkling extra quality, maybe in the summer, they spend a little bit more money. They've not spent massive amounts. I still think 40 million, a player like Anthony Gordon, is just bizarre because I've not watched him once and thought he's a a really, really good player. but it's going to end up scoring at the weekend now. Yeah, <laughs> Especially against, like against Liverpool. Liverpool yeah. I know 100%. So, uh, so I actually made like a bit <laughs> of one each chance to Gordon for goal scorer, um, and then Liam's went for two 0 in that game as well. But second so set of fixtures with that. Um, but yeah, that rounds up the podcast, Paul. Um, hopefully for Celtic we get a victory ourselves over the weekend, and then we can come back in next week and look ahead to a cup final. We've plenty to look forward to. Yeah,
1: absolutely. It's funny we were talking in the office the other day and it's quite it's been quite low key in terms of of the build up, but you know, you know once at the weekends fixtures are out the way, it's just going to be certainly that's all we're going to be talking about. I know the players will just want to keep it low key and level throughout the whole week, but it, you know, yeah. obviously the first first bit of silverware of the season and you know and it's ours and we don't want to let it go. No, 100%.
0: The fact we are still talking about it now, though, means that it's in the back of our heads, even though we just focus one game at a time. Exactly. If if the manager was sitting here right now, he'd be telling us off, probably. Uh, So, yeah, hopefully, we've got a lot to talk about next week and a a good win to to talk about for for the first team and for the B team as well. But, yeah, thank you very much for, for joining us. Again, you can listen to that Glenn Leuven's podcast interview on the YouTube channel and Spotify, Apple, Google, anywhere you get your podcasts, and subscribe to the Celtic View podcast on all of your streaming platforms and do join us again next week. But for now, thanks very much for listening. Cheers.